Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening to you, our listeners who've tuned in tonight. Welcome to Law Focus on Bow FM 88.1. Thank you for being part of our show. We always appreciate you being here. My name is Tapa Mohapi and I'm your host for the show that aims to deal with legal issues and stuff related thereto. We're always here to inform you about your legal rights, as well as have conversations about current issues within the legal fraternity. On this Tuesday night, we'll be discussing road accidents. It's a massive carnage that happens on our roads every year. And what your rights are if it happens that you get into one. Also tackling the issues of reimbursement, part of accident, and the road accident fund will provide a little bit of a breakdown on that process. But before we tackle this informative topic, let's have a look at what our top legal stories are for this week. Here are our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Court case against businessmen accused of defrauding the city of Johannesburg of 7.5 million rand is postponed. And the state's case against the businessman who allegedly defrauded the city of Johannesburg of just over 7.5 million rand has been postponed for pre-trial. The Citizen newspaper reports that Dion Pillay made a brief appearance before the Palm Ridge Magistrates Court on Monday. That court is getting an, a massive amount of action, must say, recently on these corruption cases. Pillay is the sole director of SCSWE Technologies Pty Ltd, and he stands accused of not delivering 570 desktops after he was paid 7,529,244 rand by the city of Johannesburg, as reported by News24 previously. News24 also reported uh, that when Pillay failed to deliver the desktops, the municipality suffered uh, quite a big financial loss. The businessman faces charges of fraud, theft, and contravention of the Prevention of Organized Crime Act. Bill is out on bail, uh, 50,000 rand, and he's due back in the magistrate's court on the 10th of November. 7.5 million rand for 570 desktops. Let that sink in for a little bit. Hmm? 7.5 million. Five suspects appear in court after alleged string of robberies on the Mamapone Highway. Five suspects have appeared in the Pretoria Magistrates Court on Monday after being nabbed for their alleged involvement in a spate of robberies and serious crimes along the Mabapani Highway. According to IOL, Police Spokesperson Brigadier Matabello Peters said in an intelligence-driven operation last week, police were led to the suspect's hideout in Marabastad, where the three people were traced and arrested. The two other suspects were already in custody. Uh, this was due to their early arrest on two Hercules cases in May and August, respectively. Peter said the centralization of related documents from Hercules and Acacia to a district level, followed by meticulous analysis of the modus operandi and the cooperation of the victim, saw five suspects being linked to the various cases. The cases included a case of armed robbery, kidnapping, murder in September in October, in Acacia and a number of other serious and violent crimes. Now, mostly there were robberies and robberies with firearms, so very serious charges there. Man accused of inciting Senegal violence gets bam. Andre Pinar, the man who's accused of inciting violence at the Senegal Magistrates Court in the Free State, has been granted bail on Monday in the amount of 15,000 rand. The citizen reports that Pinar's initial bail application was denied last week, Tuesday, which had prompted him to approach the Free State High Court in Bloemfontein. 
the Senegal court had denied Pinar bail after it found there was a public outcry if he was released, and also the possibility that he could interfere with witnesses. The state had argued that the seriousness of the charges against the farmer also justified the restriction of his liberties. Pinar is facing a charge of attempted murder, public violence, and malicious damage to property. He'll be back in court on the 20th of November. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Welcome back to Law Focus. And if you've just joined us, tonight we're discussing road accidents. Now, with the lifting of restrictions last month and the easing of our COVID restrictions down to level one, we've witnessed an increase in uh, road accidents right across the country. Some people might even describe it as carnage. Now, many people have been involved in road accidents, and some of you might not even know what to do once you're in that situation. Even if you're the passenger in public transport, there are certain regulations and processes that needs to be followed. There are avenues for assistance, but perhaps the information of getting that assistance isn't readily available. South Africa has an annual road death toll that is higher than the world average, and it's also higher than the African continent's average. According to the Road Traffic Management Corporation's uh, most recent annual report, uh, there were 12,921 deaths on South Africa's roads every single year. Now, that equates to a couple of dozen per day, if you average that out. So it is significant. Over the holidays, uh, and in particular during our festive season and our Easter season, serious road accidents become a daily occurrence. The numbers really pick up during that period. Now, some of the top causes of road accidents are, amongst others, driving while intoxicated, having distractions such as cell phones and the like, playing with your sound system, speeding, reckless driving. And those are just one or two or a few that we've mentioned. Now, what do you do if you find yourself in such a situation? Many might think that the process is is quite easy but there may be more to it than you know, particularly if you are on the wrong side of the law. Tonight, we're joined by Mrs. Audrey Malasela, Supervisory Legal Practitioner at a Legal Aid Soshanguva local office. She'll be giving us her insights into the topics. Welcome to Law Focus, and thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Greetings to everyone who's listening to us this evening, and thank you for inviting me to the interview. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, let's get down to perhaps some of the more simple questions out of the way first and say, what would, in South Africa, would we classify as a road accident that would result in a claim from the RAF? What, what is a road accident where the RAF would be interested in hearing uh, what happened? Okay. Uh, a road accident, in terms of the Road Accident Fund Act, is an accident that takes place within the a road or on a road that is situated within the borders of the Republic of South Africa. That is in short. Let's say we have a private road, like a farm road or something like that, and it's a longish one. Would that also be covered or because it's on private land, it's a private road and therefore, well, that's a private affair? Or can it still perhaps fall within the ambit of the road accident fund? 
Yes, it still falls within the ambit of the road accident fund because that very road is situated within the jurisdiction of the Republic of South Africa. So it falls within the act. So the act is quite far-reaching then, huh? Yes, it is. It is. That's the most important part of the act, that it covers the Republic of South Africa as a whole. It does not exclude any road within the Republic. Mm. Now, in South Africa, we have various legislation that relates perhaps to what happens on our roads, some of it municipal, some of it uh, national. But what are the most important bits of legislation when we're talking about the road accident and the laws around that? The main legislation around the road accident is the Road Accident Fund Act. That will be Act 56 of 1996. Prior to the 1996 Act, we had the Multilateral Accidents uh, Act of South Africa. So the current act that the Road Accident Fund is operating on or is provided for is the Road Accident Fund Act. The Road Accident Fund Act prescribes the law regarding the accidents or regarding road accidents in South Africa and also provides for the establishment of what we know, most of us know as the Road Accident Fund. And it provides also for matters related thereto. So it provides for matters relating to road accidents in the Republic of South Africa. So that is the yardstick, is the main act that uh, regulates road accidents in South Africa. I do not want to go into the, because when I now venture into the act relating to the courts, how to bring what and an action, then I'll be going outside the legislation that deals with road accidents. There's a lot right, of other... Uh, uh, legislations that will come in when the matter, let's say the matter is to be taken to court, there will be other legislation in play. But now wow. the main legislation is the Road Accident Fund Act. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, can you give us some indication of what the different kinds or categories of road accidents that are catered for? What I mean by that is you know, someone using public transport or private transport or someone who's walking on the street. What are the different types of accidents that, you know, typically we, we, we live in? I think I'll rephrase the question to say which persons can claim from the road accident fund instead of saying which kind of accidents because when you look at the kind of an accident, a, an accident can be a head-on collision, it can be hit-and-run collision, it can be a side impact collision, it can be a rear-end collision, it can be a car overturning. So there's a lot of other types of accidents. But then if a person gets hit for, by a car, that person is still covered by the road accident. But it's not, a, we can't say it's a type of a road accident. Right, so a pedestrian, even if a pedestrian is hit by a vehicle, they can still be covered. Yes, that person can still be covered. So what I'm trying to explain is that the following categories of people can lodge a claim with their road accident fund. That will be a claim stemming out of any other accidents of those that I've already uh, spoken about. So a person who's a driver, a passenger, a pedestrian, a cyclist and a motorcyclist is able to approach the road accident fund for a claim stemming out of any other accident that comes as a result of a collusion. Okay, I see. 
Now, huge parts of our population don't have access to private transport. And so they make use of public transport, whether it's uh, buses or taxis or in the rural area, sometimes it can be buckies that they use. And there's sometimes some confusion about when you're the passenger in a motor vehicle accident and using public transport, are you covered? Can you claim? Are there qualifications? Is there anything different about being a passenger in a public transport situation? The road accident uh, fund does not, or the act itself, does not differentiate between uh, a passenger in a certain type of a vehicle that is involved in an accident. Remember, the main purpose of the act is to, of the fund is to make payment or to pay compensation to a person in accordance with the provisions of the act for loss or for damages suffered as a result of the driving or suffered as a result of an accident or the driving of a motor vehicle within a road in the Republic of South Africa. So it does not exclude a person who's a passenger in a public transport or a private transport. The act even goes as further as to include people who go with uh, something called, uh, what we call them? Um, When we go together as, uh, let's say we are colleagues, we are working for a lift club. Yes. So the act goes to the extent of even covering people who get involved in an accident while in a lift club. So it does not differentiate between a a public transport or a private transport. The act covers a person who who suffers injuries or damages as a result of an accident. It's a very interesting one. But if you've just joined us, uh, we're in conversation with Audrey Malasela from the Legal Aid of South Africa in Soshanguwe. And we're talking about road accidents, what you should know and what happens when you're involved in one. Now, you mentioned earlier that somebody who suffers loss as a result of an accident, what kinds of losses and damages are we talking about? Is it only when someone passes away? Does it have to be you, yourself, you know, what rights do your breadwinner, your, your dependents have, etc.? And what if you can't work but you survive? Those kinds of things. Yes, uh, what I was trying to explain uh, around the the two ways, damages or loss. Damages is uh, what a person suffers uh, which will cause that person to be unable to do one thing or another as a result of the injuries suffered from the accident. So when that person claims, we say the person claims damages. So when you have lost, let's say you lose a breadwinner in the family. That's when we are talking about loss. The breadwinner who dies as a result of an accident, the beneficiaries of that breadwinner have the right to claim against the road accident fund. So those people would have suffered loss. If a person suffers damages, let's say uh, you were employed. As a result of a, a motor vehicle accident, you suffer loss. Let's say you lose your hand or you lose your limb. You still have the right to claim against the road accident fund. We call that as uh, damages. You have suffered damages. Right. I see. And you're assessed, as, as I presume, whether it's loss or damages and you're paid accordingly. Yes. Remember, when you get involved in an accident, depending on the type of injuries, obviously you'll be admitted to a hospital or a health institution. Once you've been admitted, there will be medical reports. On the medical reports, you will also have experts' reports. 
who will file reports about the extent of the injuries that a person has suffered as a result of the accident. So those reports are the ones that will assist the road accident fund to arrive at an amount of damages or an amount of compensation that a person is supposed to receive. There's many other reports that are needed when you file a claim with the road accident fund. And there's also many other forms. So the process perhaps does need some care and attention because it's a step-by-step process. A a very problematic experience that we have in South Africa would Mm. be drinking, you know, where intoxication is involved in a car accident, whether it's a pedestrian who's drunk, whether it's a driver who's drunk, and you have the situation where a pedestrian is, is hit, an accident happens, and one of them is, is, is drunk, but people are injured in that accident, even perhaps the person who was drunk. What's the process to follow in that situation? Is the RAF going to say, but hang on, we have alcohol involved here, and so listen, we, we're not involved, or what, or what happens? Remember the compensation road accident fund uh, at lay the compensation that you get from the fund stems out of negligence of another let's turn the tables and say the driver of that vehicle who hit the person who was drunk gets injured in that accident the driver who was not negligent at that moment who got injured in that accident has got the right to claim against the road accident fund for damages that he suffered as a result of the accident. In the same breath, depending on the percentage of the negligence, the person who got hit by the vehicle while intoxicated has also the right to claim against the uh, road accident, depending on the percentage of his negligence. Okay, right. So there is an assessment to say, Listen, you were negligent, but also this one was negligent to a little degree or lesser degree, and then the decision is made like that. Yes. Right, okay. So what is it important not to do after an accident? Uh, You have so many various things that people will advise you to do, etc. I once read about a young lady who was advised to drink some liquid. Unfortunately, of course, she was convicted. But she said, no, she was advised to drink a liquid very quickly. You know, things like that. So what mustn't you do after an accident? Okay. The very most important thing that a person must not do after the accident is that the person must not go home and sit because you never know the extent of the injuries that you have suffered. So you see, especially in collisions where one person or the other has been intoxicated, people tend to run or the the flight mode kicks in and the person will go home and say, I'm fine. Whereas they don't know the extent of the injuries. So it's always important and advisable for people when they get involved on an accident to first thing, approach the nearest police station or to report the accident or seek health care immediately so that the healthcare practitioners can be able to uh, check the extent of the injuries that the person has suffered as the result of the accident. Just as a side note to the listener, all collisions in South Africa must be reported within, I think, it's 48 hours or so. And uh, collisions which involve pedestrian, you may not leave the scene until the authorities arrive, I believe. I could be wrong on that, but it's always advisable anyway to to get the authorities involved. Now, if you just joined us, we're in conversation with Audrey Malasella from Legal Aid, and we're talking about road accidents. 
and what you should do perhaps once you're involved in one, but even after you're involved in one. The role of the RAF overall, she's explaining to us, is that it is there to help people who have, as a result of someone else's negligence, suffered loss or damage in a motor collision, and they will be entitled to apply for some sort of compensation. Now, we live in a country where people will say some portions, perhaps some of the more privileged parts of our population will say, but you know what? The RAF is not working. People must get insurance. The reality is that but 70-odd percent of South Africans are not insured. How significant is it in accessing justice and compensation over the last few years? How important has the RAF been in uh, actually helping people to access the funds which they wouldn't otherwise have been able to access? Can you please allow me to just go back a little bit and answer the questions if the question before? I'm sorry to... Right, go The question about remaining at the scene of the accident after the accident has happened. I, I just need to clarify that within the road accident fund, there's something called hit and run, where a person gets hit by a vehicle or a collision happens and the driver or the negligent person runs away from the scene of the accident. We call that a hit and run ex-collision. I just uh, want to highlight that even under those circumstances where the other person or the negligent person has disappeared from the scene of of the accident, the victim still has the right to claim compensation under those circumstances. We call it a hit and run collision. The victim still has the right to claim against the road accident fund. And I just want to also clarify that the claim under those circumstances, you should bring the claim within a period of two years after the incident, because anything after a period of two years, the claim has prescribed. Right. But it doesn't matter whether you're you're a pedestrian or you're the driver of another car. As long as it's a hit and run, you can still claim, but you must do it within two years. Oh, okay. Within a period of two years, yes. Remember, the prescription period for the road accident fund is three years, but with regard to uh, hit and run, it's uh, two years. I will then go to your next question, which is the importance of being uh, insured. Yes. Yes. The importance of a person being insured, road accident fund, for whatever reason, remember the the, the fund has got limitations and exceptions. Should, for whatever reason, the road accident fund refuse to pay, given for whatever reason, there's a number of exceptions within the act. So should the road accident fund refuse to pay or to compensate an injured person in an accident, if that person is insured, it's always much better. It's always much better that the person is insured. If the the fund refuses to pay, then the the person can now uh, lodge a civil claim against either the person who caused the accident or the injuries or the insurance companies. And also you should remember that there's a limitation of uh, 30% damages in the road accident fund. So if the fund can only limit or pay up to 30% of the injuries, the person has now has the right to seek or to claim against uh, insurance companies. So it is important to be insured. Um, what do you think can be done, give more people knowledge about the steps to follow in terms of getting access to any compensation that they may be entitled to? My thinking is, I think the, the road accident fund should go out to, especially the rural areas, to sensitize people our communities about the one, the existence of the fund, 
that the research fund that is in existence that assists people in South Africa that get involved in road collisions or road accidents. The other thing that I think the fund should do should at least have outreach programs where they know that within a year, a certain office of the road accident fund will cover so many communities making them aware of the existence of the fund, more so also making them aware of what person should do or not do after being involved in a, a motor vehicle collision or a motor vehicle accident or after having suffered injuries as a result of an accident. The other thing I think it, it would be much better if they are posters about the work of the road accident fund. If we see those posters in police stations, in our public clinics, in on the billboards on the roads, in the courts, where people visit in the post office, maybe in shopping centers or the malls, I think people will be more aware of the existence of the fund and the importance of the fund or the road accident fund. Now, finally, here's a question perhaps which is a bit close to my own heart, but I'll ask it anyway. What's the importance of it? Do you need a lawyer? to assist you with a road accident fund claim? Or can you do this thing yourself? Because we hear so many stories about lawyers taking huge amounts of fees and et cetera. cetera. So can a person do the claim themselves? A person or a victim of a road accident fund can lodge the claim themselves. Nothing stops an injured person or a victim to approach the RAF personnel. The importance or the role of an attorney in an RAF claim is that one, you need the appropriate legal expertise or legal experience to complete or to lodge those forms. It is not easy for an average person to complete the forms, let alone an uneducated person to to lodge such a claim. It's not everyone that has got the legal expertise when coming to the completion of the forms. The next thing is that in order to complete those forms or also in support of the claim, you need witness affidavits, you need witness statements, you need police reports, you need uh, medical reports. So in most cases, we see attorneys being able to access that information quickly and speedily and uh, also helping people to lodge the claims within the prescribed uh, periods. So when a person approaches an attorney, the attorney is able to give legal advice as to the time periods, the forms that needs to be completed, the information that is needed to be submitted to the road accident fund. And uh, in the claim, the attorney will be able to guide the client or the victim of the road accident throughout the whole process of claiming the the compensation from the fund. You will also note that the amount of compensation that the road accident fund pays to the victims It's not always enough or it's based on what the victim has submitted to the fund. So you find, in in my experience, you find that victims have been underpaid. A person suffers an injury today because they have failed to submit more medical reports. The fund will pay them for maybe 25% of the damages. And you find that going forward or in future, because that person did not submit full medical report, if that person suffers injuries or suffers pain and suffering in the future, the claim has been paid. And remember, you cannot approach the RAF again and say, no, I suffered injury on my leg, but at that time it was fine. But now as I'm aging, the injury is now coming back. You cannot do that. So if an attorney has assisted a victim to get full medical reports, it's to the advantage of the, the victim 
to get a, a, a full compensation, even if it's, it goes to future damages or future pain and suffering. That's the role of the attorney, and it seems to be a very significant one. And just also to add on that, let's say there's a, a dispute that arises between the fund and the claimant. Remember, if a dispute arises after the 120 days that you have submitted a claim, then the attorney is able to lodge a legal claim against the road accident fund. Oh, you mean through the court system? Yes. Right, okay. Else, when the person uh, does that in person, once there's a dispute, obviously the person will just let go of the road accident fund. Mm, 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 mm. Yes. Well, fascinating and very important information that so many of us, no less than almost 13,000 people a year are affected by this. Uh, and that's just fatalities and not people who are just injured. So it's a very, very important part of our law that all of you should understand. All of us should have a good understanding of it because it affects so many of us per annum. And that was Audrey Malashela, a supervisory legal practitioner at Legal Aid, Soshanguve, the local office. She shared all of our knowledge with us about the various aspects of road accidents, as well as what to do when claiming, and perhaps what not to do when trying to claim from the road accident fund as well. Thank you, Audrey, for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Thank you so very much. To you, my dear listener, we need to really think about the role of the RAF, how important it can be for us. You you can imagine a scenario where the RAF didn't exist, where everybody had to claim from the driver themselves for bodily injuries. Now, that would be a mess, wouldn't it? Because how many of us can afford, as drivers, can afford to pay out a million, half a million, even a hundred thousand rand if we're involved in a, we're responsible for a car accident. Very few of us would be able to afford that. So the role of the RAF is extremely important and it's one that we should have a better understanding of, perhaps to have it work in our favor. It's going through a, a great deal of challenges today, yes, but it's not something that I think as a country we can let slip and go by. I'm just going to waste. Lawful Focus on Volvan 88.1. Point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus. And if you've just joined us, uh, welcome. We're still continuing our conversation on road accidents and the RAF. Now, we started the topic by having a discussion with legal aid and hearing what some of the things that you should and shouldn't do once you're involved in an accident. We also got some very good legal advice. Now, we'll continue with our discussion by hearing about compensation and the RAF itself. The Road Accident Fund provides personal injury and where applicable death compensation to those injured in motor vehicle accidents. And it's provided by accidents uh, to people who haven't solely been the cause of the accident. Of course, where you are injured and it's entirely your fault, well, that's something a little bit different. We're now joined by William Maputa, the spokesperson of the RAF, and he'll be talking us with us tonight about some of the things that you need to know about claiming in the road accident funds. Welcome to Law Focus, William. We're very glad that you could join us tonight. Thank you very much for inviting us as Road Accident Fund, and we are happy that um, we are here today. The Road Accident Fund really is one of the biggest, perhaps one of the most important compensation-type funds that we have in our in our country at the moment. Some of them, are, for instance, there's workman's comp. There, there are some other 
compensation devices, but the RAF is probably the largest, and it is one that affects so many people. Uh, so I don't think that the importance of the fund can be overstated. Uh, William, could you tell us exactly how is the normal process for one to claim from the fund? Okay, I think the normal process will be that first of all, there should be an accident. That's number one. Number two is that uh, there should be records of that accident. Uh, Records at this stage, I mean an accident report that actually proves that indeed there was an accident. But also there should be a medical certificate, which also, uh, you know, somehow substantiated that indeed so-and-so was involved in an accident and was also medically uh, checked and, um, you know, and certified. Those are the normal processes that uh, we'll start to look at. But those are some of the other things that we then look at as part of the, you know, proof that indeed there was an accident and therefore some of the other things were, were taken care of. And then obviously there will be forms that are filled in those areas where people would want to actually lodge a claim. So you will then go to the process of claiming. After an accident was certified, after a person was admitted at all our you know, medical facilities or, or our health facilities, there should be a process of claiming. Now, the process of claiming is that with a form that you fill. And that form is accompanied by, you know, all those requirements and procedures that are required. So the, the, the process is very simple. And unfortunately, others do not uh, get to survive accidents. They lose lives. Um, so as a result of that, you will have those that we call beneficiaries um, that will claim on behalf of the claimants. And that will be the deceased people uh, that would have uh, passed away as the result of the accident. I see. I see. So you have to verify that there was an accident through the accident report. Yeah. Verify that there were injuries through medical type thing, and then fill in the requisite forms. Correct. And lodge them at the RAF itself. And lodge them at the RAF offices. But you can also, you know, explore other avenues because there are lawyers that are available to help with the processes of lodging of claims. And legally, so people are, you know, somehow have rights to do that. You can still use lawyers uh, if you don't want to come to RAF to claim um, on your behalf. Sure. So this year has been a, an extremely unusual year for everybody, you know, with lockdowns Correct. and coronas and all of that. And because the RAF is such a big litigant in our courts, um, have in your experience, have you? how has corona kind of affected the way that you have operated yeah, it, it did. Uh, financially also, not only in terms of our service delivery, but also financially, because then you'll, you'll, you'll understand that we get what we call a grant from, from uh, fuel levy. And fuel levy is when our people are on the road, uh, you know, pouring petrol. And, and part of that portion that is in our amount of the money that we pay for petrol comes to us as a form of a grant for us to operate. Now, I'm sure you would understand that during lockdown restrictions, especially at those levels that were, were, were very high, level 5, level 4, level 3, people were not encouraged to be on our roads, especially for obvious reasons that would want to cap the, you know, the spread of the virus. So, so many people were not on the roads and, and, and that as a result, it affected our pocket very, very heavily. But also because we were not declared an essential services as the as organization, so we could not open part of our offices to actually offer our services. So it did affect us also 
in terms of the backlog of the work that we're supposed to do. And also the, the, the courts weren't operating normally as well, so it was difficult yes. for some of them. Yes, it, it was very much difficult. Yeah, it was very much difficult. And also you understand that we use tangible evidence, we use files in order for us to check and approve and check signatures, check approvals, check whether you know correct documentations are attached. So it will be very much uh, difficult for us to have accepted that we can work virtually when we have to actually dealing with physical documentation for, for us to do our work. If you've just yeah. joined us, we're in conversation with William Ma uh, Maputa, uh, and he is uh, the spokesperson at the Road Accident Fund, one of the biggest funds in our country, and it helps people who have been the victims of bodily injuries. You can't claim there for your bumper and your your windscreen or anything like that, but for bodily injuries, and you're not the sole cause of the accident, yes, you can go ahead and claim. Do you think that it was wise for RAF not to be declared an essential service? It sounds to me like there was maybe a mistake there made by the state, that you, you weren't an essential service during the higher levels of lockdown. Yeah, on matters of the state, I'm part of the state. I'm still led by the state. I'm the state myself. So there is no way that I would want to divorce myself from the collective decisions that would have taken by the National Command Center, which was led by the president in terms of determining whether, you know, how other things should be done in the country. And um, I still believe that it was correct, uh, you know, move to do whatever that they've done. You touched on it in, a, in an earlier question where... You're talking about files, etc. you know, physical files, as in medical files, medical legal correspondences, etc., etc. And those are proving to be quite difficult now to move on to the virtual platform because I suppose the size, the, the volume of them, the verification of them, etc. Now that we have this move towards a more virtual type uh, environment, um, is the, do you think the RAF is looking at the possibility of conducting more things virtually, such as mediations, meetings perhaps, even if maybe not the files are virtual? Are you taking advantage of what's available now? Yeah, it depends on the kind of the services that you are looking for. We do have meetings like the ones that we are having now. It's one of the virtual meetings that we are having uh, with our, our stakeholders, most important stakeholder, which is yourselves. We are actually continuing to have more virtual uh, meetings and, and um, interactions with various uh, you know, stakeholders. Uh, so it depends on the kind of the services that you're looking for. But the ones that I've, I've, I've um, previously spoken about around your tangible evidence that needs to be proven, that needs to be checked, that needs to be verified. It might be a bit difficult for us to have a virtual interactions at that level. But we are indeed resolving issues virtually because we do meet with other stakeholders virtually. Work has been happening. I mean, we've been having various interactions with various stakeholders through virtual interactions. So we have been doing work. Part of our system modernization is that we are in the fourth industrial revolution. Part of our integrated claims management system and other systems that we will be implementing in the new model, we want to see how best we can try to modernize how we do things uh, in the institution. So, uh, yes, indeed, that consideration is there, but it will be dependent on the kind of the services that you will be looking for. And, you know, there's some concern around the RAF at the moment with certain applications, etc., going through the court and, you know, it was, some things were attached. And then do we need to start worrying? Because it's such an important thing. I, I mentioned earlier in another interview that, you know, nobody can afford 
that uh, most drivers in South Africa would never be able to afford, if they were involved in an accident, somebody was injured, the cost of paying for that person's uh, or compensating that person, whether it's 10,000, 100,000, it's a million rand, whatever it is, that the compensation for the... So the, the RAF is very important. And it seems that there's some distress at the moment going through, you know, possible liquidation. And Do we need to worry? There is no need to worry at all. Uh, we are moving in the correct direction. And part of those processes, we are currently dealing with them in the court. The liquidation that we are speaking about is something that we have. We are currently at court to deal with it. We want to assure everyone and all the South African citizens that we are forging ahead with what we are doing and we are modernizing our system. We are improving our performance uh, areas. There is no need to worry at all. The only worry that we are having now is that um, we have requested that the lawyers that we had a relationship with, that relationship that lapsed as per the ending of the contract to return back all our files that they have uh, so that then we can be able to process the claims of the claimants that are there in their position. So that is the only thing that is, can give us a hassle here and there. But we are ready as rough. We are continuing. Others are bringing back the files of the claimants and we are paying those claimants. Uh, we are processing those claims. So there is no issue of liquidation. There is no... There is no institution or there is no other private firm that can take RAF to court in order to get it liquidated. It is only legislation uh, and cabinet that can have RAF wound up. And those things are there in the legislation of this country, in the rules of law of this country, that nobody else, no institution, no private entity can actually even attempt to actually have a RAF liquidated. It is only legislature. So ambitions will always be there, but that would never happen. But I also want to clarify that, I mean, those that would have wanted RAF to be liquidated, there are those that would have wanted RAF to operate even in the current status quo. Then the question will be, why do you want to fight for RAF not to continue with a tender? You are fighting that the tender must continue, which you are saying the status quo of that institution that is insolvent must continue as insolvent as it is. Now you come back again, you are saying, no, 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 because now you are losing that battle of having that tender continuing. You are saying, let's liquidate it. It's disingenuous because these are the very same people, the very same people that have launched the same application of liquidating and winding up RAF. It's the very same people that were in court forcing RAF to continue with the very same tender. That we are saying that we are indebted, we are insolvent. Yes, indeed, we agree that we've got financial problems. And as a result, that's the reason why we want to have a new operating model. That first for first of all that we need to do is to cut the fat. And to cut the fat is to cancel the, the very same tender. So it, it is disingenuous. It's something that we are not going to agree to. And we are going to go ahead with implementation of our new model of making sure that the money and and I must give you this information. We pay we pay 17.2 billion a year in order to process 23 billion. I just, Make just, sense of just repeat that for me. As rough, we have been paying 17.2 billion to disperse or to dispense 223 billion. So almost half of your operating, half of your costs yeah. go to operations. So, so so 17 billion only on administration costs. 17 billion only on administration cost. So the 23 billion and the 17 billion is the total cost of 43 billion that we receive a year as part of what we receive from our fuel levies. So out of this 43 billion a year, 17 of these billions is going to administrative costs and 10.3 billion only goes to the lawyers. So we have cancelled, not only cancelled, but we have discontinued because that tender 
it came to an end. We said we are no longer going to continue with the very same tender. We are going to have our in-house operations. We will employ the very same lawyers. We will employ them internally in order for them to process the very same claims. So, so it can't be correct that the very same lawyers that would have taken us to court to have the very same tender continuing today are the same people that are saying, no, no, you're not paying us, you are insolvent, and therefore you need to be liquidated. It can't be correct. Right. So just to clarify for us, the, the, when you talk about um, uh, the tenders and the lawyers, etc., are you referring to the lawyers who represent the, the RAF? Or are you talking to, about lawyers who have represented the actual claimant? Yes, I'm referring to those that we classify them as panels of attain. And the ones that we'll be representing, that represents our claimants, uh, those ones we call them plaintiff attains. So here I'm referring to the ones that would have formed part of the panel that should be representing RAF at a court. Going forward, uh, I want to assure you that uh, it has been proven that 95% of the cases that we give these lawyers to go and appear in court, they are not actually even go to the magistrate or to the judge. They are settled out of the court. So if they can be able to be settled out of court, why can't we do them? Why can't we then settle our claims? And that, for a fact, it's our major responsibility. Our major responsibility is not to litigate. I mean, Section 4.1b of our Rough Act says we must investigate and settle claims. There is no way where it says we must litigate. So we don't have an obligation to litigate. Where we can be able to investigate our claims and settle them, we should be doing that. And that's what the lawyers have been doing. They've been settling our claims without investigation, and those claims, they don't even appear you know, in court. They settle out of the court. So those are part of the reasons why we actually you know, decided that we're no longer going to continue with the, with the tender for the panels of attorney, because for us, it has no value for money. Now, if you've just joined us, we're speaking to William Maputa, and he's a spokesperson for the RAF. Uh, and he's just explained to us some of the most important uh, concerns that have arisen recently, the reasons for the decision by the RAF, and what he believes will be the outcomes of some of the litigation that is going forward in some of our courts. Fascinating stuff. Even I wasn't aware of some of these things, and I follow it quite closely, actually. Uh, but the RAF looks like it's here to stay, and it's putting up a bit of a fight. Well, not a fight, but it's really making itself known and its position understood with regard to how it's going to operate going forward. So, now, if someone was uh, involved in an accident during, let's say, Level 5 or Level 4 lockdown, where the restrictions were quite rough and the RAF wasn't quite operational. Can that still go forward and can that still be, can they still approach the RAF to say, but hang on, this has happened to me. I know it was during level five, level four lockdown. <coughs> and perhaps even, you know, they were, they, they were traveling at an, at an awkward time or something. Can they still approach the RAF or is there going to be an issue? But why are we on the road? And, or is it still going to be investigated? Everything is still going to be. Yeah, like I said, every claim has its own record. You should be able to get an accident report that will then say, uh, this accident happened on this day, and these were the passengers. And indeed, because our, our our law enforcement at that time were on their roads, they will then have to understand, and 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 they will also ask questions as to, I mean, for what responsibilities were you were you on the roads for? You know, such such kind of information will be there. An accident report in itself 
will we'll then explain what would have happened, who was there, who was eligible for the accident, and all that. Taking into consideration all those required documents that needs to accompany a claim, then you can follow a correct process. Right. I've seen at some of our major hospitals that there's a small RAF office sometimes there. Or sometimes I've seen uh, employees of the RAF going through some of our bigger hospitals assisting people. It seems like a good initiative. And is this being spread out even into the smaller uh, hospitals and clinics, or is it still remaining at the larger facilities? And are you continuing with that practice of going out to the people? Yes, we are continuing with that practice. Every health facility in the country would have someone dedicated to deal with, with issues that pertains to road accident. We call those offices our contact centers. Our claiming period is three years. So within the three years, if you are involved in an accident and there is a proof that indeed you were involved in, a, in an accident, you can still help you. After three years, we'll then have to evaluate, check some of the other issues around why did take you some, you know, so much time for you to actually come and, um, you know, process, uh, sorry, to register your claim. I just wanted to reiterate the fact that, you know, issues of evidence are technical matters that at all times they need to be looked at so that, um, you know, the very same time that you take not claiming or not processing your claim might somehow, you know, affect your evidence that you will be producing. Well, that was William Maputa, and he's the spokesperson for the Road Accident Fund. And he shared some of our insights with us about road accident cases. Remember that the Road Accident Fund is there for you and for me. Its job is to ensure that those of us who are the victims of road accidents, um, where we are not the sole responsibility or solely at fault for that accident, can receive some sort of compensation. It's a really important fund. It's something that we need to take serious note of because without that fund, a lot of people would be without access to education, healthcare, housing, because as we know, the accidents that we have in this country are huge. At least uh, 12,000, I think a little bit more than that, fatalities per annum each and every year on our roads. So the Road Accident Fund, always remember that it's an important fund that is there to assist you. Approach it if you need to, and approach it quickly within the three years, as explained by William. Um, thank you for joining us. Good Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. That's it from us tonight to our extremely valued guest, Audrey Masalela, a supervisory legal practitioner at Legal Aid Sochanguve, local office, and William Maputa, a spokesperson for the Road Accident Fund. We thank both of you for sharing your insights tonight. Uh, it was extremely valuable, gave us a massive amount of insight, both what's happening in the RAF itself, the big changes that have been happening, some of the gripes. And uh, thank you for also showing us and explaining to us how it is that you can claim from the RAF. From our producer, Rufile Mekwa, our technical producer, Kutwana Sarame, thank you for putting the show together for us. From myself, Tabmapi, it's always a pleasure being with you on Tuesday night. I hope you enjoy the rest of the evening. Thank you for tuning in, and let's meet once again next week, same time, same place. Law Focus on Volvo 88.1. Point of Information. Law Focus Podcast.